Greetings, heroes, and thank you for answering the Summoner's Call. Presented by the Gamers Inn, this is a podcast for all fans of Fire Emblem Heroes and the Fire Emblem franchise. I'm your host, Ryan Murphy, and joining me, as always, my co-host, Eddie. How's it going, Eddie? Not too bad. We got a brand new book this week, and a lot of outside of work stuff keeping us busy. Yes, well, it's that time of year as December slowly slips away, and uh, you it's all done to the the tune of jingles and and christmas stuff that that's really been my experience is is anywhere you go it's holiday music i don't know if you i feel bad for people who work in retail and i know if you're listening to podcasts you might not be listening to them at work but um if you're in retail but yeah like the holiday tracks are real and hopefully there's a you have a your work has it tuned to a station that doesn't offer a lot of repetition um I know that's some of the biggest struggle in retail is listening to the same holiday tracks over and over and over and over. So, Eddie, hopefully you're not subjected to that at your work. Uh, no, at work, um, I don't turn the radio on and mostly listen to podcasts or my own music through the radio via Bluetooth. So nice. I manage to avoid most of that. That's the way to go. Uh, well, you know what? We are here to talk about new heroes. We teased it last week. We looked at the details for book six, and now we have those heroes in the game, so we're going to talk about them. But first, we're going to start with the banners, which we have the weekly revival banner 41 running right now, the new power banner running until the 14th, so just uh, just just under a day to get into that one, double special heroes running until the 20th, Book six begins, Ash and more running until the 23rd, and I was hoping, hoping that I could stall long enough for my game to load. I guess I need a new phone. It's still loading, still loading, because I didn't check before, oh. uh, but I think Adrian that's it. and Thor are running until, as the time we, at the time we record, so by the time you listen to it, it's probably over, or maybe over. By the time we record, Atri and Thor are running till, for another 13 hours. True. So, till 2 a.m.? If you're a diehard fan of Summoner's Call and you listen to the second it pops up in your app catcher, then yeah, you will have uh, a few. But I, I think if you're that, I think if you're that diehard, you're you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be summoning on those banners already, or at least aware that they're ending. But yeah, that's a good point. The Etrian and Thor banner is still running, but uh, that's not the banner we want to talk about. Let's talk about the Book Six banner. How did you do with summoning on that banner? Um, I did dip into the banner to try and get a spare ash to have a merge for her. Uh, and a, you know, if possible, a boon or a bane, uh, depending on what mer- what uh, she got when I summoned her. And in my initial pit, uh, push, I got uh, Flavia and Basilio. At that point, I decided I was going to spark. And uh, when I did that, I ended up choosing uh, Priam for the spark, since I had gotten no other five-star units by that point, and focused on color- colorless to get a pity break, hoping for Ash. Uh, which I did get an Ash, so I did end up getting everyone on the banner. Good stuff. That's always good when you get everybody on the banner. For me, I was not uh, I was not looking to summon, you know, exclusively on the banner, but uh, my f- one free summon I got, uh, or I guess I should say my first free summon, because there are tickets. Still working through those tickets, but my f- first free summon I got a, uh, I got Ash. And you know what? Someone did ask me in Discord if it was um, what the uh, what the boon was. So I should pull that up again to be reminded. It was an attack boon and a resistance bane. So um, when I finally get around to merging them, I think that's a pretty solid set. I mean, my go-to with heroes is usually, oh, attack must be the preferred. 
stat. I'm not a stat cruncher. So like, oh. yeah. Yeah. I usually will pull up, you know, especially when I have a handful of them, I usually pull up, um, what should we call it? Uh, game press game press. Yes. And see what they recommend. Um, and, but with Ash, the boon I got was a plus defense. Uh, who knows? Maybe defense will be her high point, but generally I follow the similar rules. If I'm either too lazy to look it up or only have one option. Uh, if I have a boon of any sort, I will take that generally take that over a, a neutral one. Although I will admit there are times when if my boon is uh, plus HP, I might take the neutral one over that. Uh, before we get too far away from the banners, I do want to make a quick note is that this is the final weekly revival banner starting next week. The uh, It resets back to banner one and goes around uh you know in order until it gets to 41 next september so if you really want the ones on this one better summon them now or you're gonna have to wait till next september for them again uh well you know what before we jump into our main topic i'm curious uh and and you know what this is going to be kind of a half a conversation because we talked pre-show about book six and and how far we got in the stories but let's talk about the introduction to the story of book six which very much is a return to the book one feel we already discussed that um but also like just how straight up fire emblem it is uh, fire emblem heroes the story is in the introduction like we go investigate something uh new uh good guy shows up introduces new bad guy and off to the races but i have only finished the first chapter there are two i mean this time we you know are investigating a mystery and we stumble on the good guy and the bad guy fighting each other right out the back because, uh, what's her name? Ash stumbles into Elm, seeming to not, not even be aware that he was around. Yeah. It, it felt to me like uh, Asker didn't give Ash many details. No, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of funny that she sort of shows up and she's just unaware of... Uh, she's there to help, for sure. She's there to she's help. She's there to help, and maybe it explains more in... Um, maybe it explains more in the, uh, chapter two, which I didn't get to, but she doesn't seem to know why she's there to help or that, uh, Embla sent someone as well, or any of those details, or even who the current, you know, descendants of Asker in the country are, you know, or yeah, I guess they are descendants. They have his blood, which is why they have the ability to open and close portals. Open for Asker. Sorry. Exactly. No, I, I think that uh, I, I think that the story is headed in obviously headed in an interesting direction because it is going to be closer to the book one sort of feel. Um, I'm I'm coming in blind here, not having played the second chapter, which is available as tra- as is tradition. You know, when they launch a new book, there's usually two chapters that are available. But yeah, I mean, I'll get through it for next week, and we can certainly discuss it. But I I like that they've introduced the bad guys. Um, Veronica is working with us. Uh, she, she basically, she has the same sort of tone in terms of like, Hey, we need your help, Veronica. And she's like, well, the only reason I'm helping cause it's affecting us too. So the issue of this closed off, like weird, um, it kind of looks like the Dalaran bubble and wow, except it's like, uh, it's like a, it's more of like a purplish reddish black. And, um, 
it's affecting Embla as well as Asker. So she's, she's yes. helping for that reason. Um, obviously, yeah, like if it would feel weird to keep going on this, having, having not played chapter two, but, uh, yeah, it's so far interesting. Veronica's always been kind of a weird character. Cause I mean, book one, it seemed like she was attacking us, I guess, because of the emblem, you know, Embla's blood in her, uh, it like intensified her feeling lonely and, and, response to that she started attacking us i guess and we like you know formed a tentative peace where you know hey we're not ignoring you because we don't want to be friends with you but she is all always standoffish she's um i believe the term in anime is sundere or sundere uh typical you know she acts all tough but she really wants to be loved and you know so but she constantly acts tough and pushes people away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't gone too far um, on that side as well. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this story. I feel like it's still going to play out in a similar fashion to other ones, where it's going to be thirteen chapters over an entire year. So it's kind of like it's going it, it for me, it's tough to be excited about the next entry in the story. You know, I just, and I don't know if they've they have any interest in changing that formula like they are still probably going to release you know drips and drabs of of a story through the, through the new heroes sections but i don't know it's not my preferred way of of getting the story delivered i don't know how they fix it but i think it's just it's too little over too long a time um and that is i mean yeah. the amount over the amount of time is kind of how they set up the game i mean unless they really expand the story which sadly i doubt they're going to because the fact that they give orbs with each story chapter i doubt they're going to start giving us 10 15 even 20 orbs a month to give us more story chapters and you know make the story deeper and longer uh but just the way they said the story doesn't bother me it's just that very seldom has the story just you know dragged me through it's hard to explain, you know, their their cliffhangers really are like, okay, whatever, when they do have cliffhangers. other Most of the time it's just, eh, yada, yada, yada. And also the other weird thing is the fact that, you know, time kind of makes no sense in this world. You know, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, for all we know, it's been, you know, uh, let's say each chapter is a day, so it's been... We're five chapters in, five times 13. You know, it's been not even two months or just barely two months in this world. Or it's been years. It's hard to say for sure. Yeah. You know, busy couple months for them. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, they talk at times like things take time, like, you know, actual novel writing in a fantasy world where traveling to here and there actually does take time. But then, you know, we're almost constantly back at the um, castle welcoming new people and yet right back, you know, what's a day's walk from the last battle uh, right there next week with, you know, a new set of heroes to worry about. So it's all confusing with the way time works in this world and the way it's set up. But, you know, it just they don't the story never or seldom really pulls me through. and. Last year, just none of the characters were 
likable, much less interesting. Yeah. I think Dogger and Knot were interesting when we first met them, but you know we drifted off of them pretty quickly. Yeah. And Uther, I'd never had any interest in finding out what's going on with him, and you know Fafnir was just weird, for lack of a better way to phrase it. He could have been an actual very interesting character, but they just made him go mad because of Aitri. Aitri, Aitri, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, it, we'll uh, we'll continue to keep uh, up with the story as best we can, and we'll report here when we have uh, stuff to talk about. But yeah, it sounds like we're just we're we're in it for the orbs and somewhat to understand what's going on in the story. Kind of more in it for the characters and that they release in the banners than the story stuff, you know. Yeah, it's interesting to follow it to a degree, but the characters in the banners draw my interest in the game more still. You know, and some of the side events interest me more, like the current Tempest Trial run, uh, which will actually be ending up here in a couple days. Uh, before we get to that happening, um, we'll actually uh, we'll get the login bonus for it tomorrow, uh, as well as a summoning focus for it and a new uh, skills banner the day after on the 15th for Heroes with Push Skills. On the 16th, that finale for the Ace and Flame series of Tempest Trials will be launching, as well as the special heroes uh, for the Christmas heroes, uh, which we currently have the uh, silhouette teaser for. We should be getting the um, uh, video telling us who's on that in a couple hours uh, after this posts or after we record uh, some point tonight. Uh, but that launches on the 16th. The login bonus, of course. And on the 17th, we have a Bound Hero Battle Revival for Layla and Matthew, as well as a round of Hall of Forms dropping right before we record next week on the 20th. Good stuff. And a little further down the road, uh, we've got our next Resplendent Hero, which has been announced. That's uh, Ishtar Thunder Goddess. The next resplendent hero after Noe will be Ishtar, who is showing off her new look from Jotunheimer. She'll be available after Noe starting on December 25th. That's the first full day she'll be available. So look forward to Merry that. Merry Christmas. Here's an Ishtar. Exactly. I thought that was uh, good timing. Um, yep. Yeah, but I, I mean, we still, we, I mean, we don't have this in the notes, but it, it might be worth noting, like, um, we probably don't have it because we're terrible at guessing the silhouettes, but they have the silhouette preview as of this recording up for the holiday yes. heroes. All I can make out are antlers. So someone is cosplaying a reindeer. That's all I'll say. It looked to me, and I could be wrong, it looked like the person with the antlers might have also had a cat or wolf ears. So that mm. might be a case too. It kind of looked, uh, could be something completely different though. So yeah, but it looked to me like the, you know, hair or ears right next to the antlers looked cat or wolfish oh uh, yeah you know i see that and it, it appears to be like a like a sword that they're holding um like if one of those uh, very thin weapons swords. i never even try to speculate because who <laughs> knows what they're doing that sword could easily be a you know sharpened candy cane or ooh, you know i like uh, that twig a mistletoe somehow sharpened into a sword who knows with christmas weapons yeah. or seasonal weapons any seasonal weapons you know, one year we had kid throwing bottles of wine at us yeah so. 
I, you know why you can't go wrong with bottles of wine, but I mean, we'll have, we'll have full details on the, uh, holiday. I say, I was going to say Christmas heroes. I mean, they are very, you know, traditional Christmas sort of, uh, holiday characters that will be arriving, um, this week, later this week. So we'll have details on those on our next episode. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't saying you can go wrong with bottles of wine, but they don't strike me as your typical dagger or a shrewken weapon, which is what they were considered. True. So. True. Generally not sharp enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but before we get there, Faye adds more cowbell with its new protagonist, as well as a handful of missing Ulysses in our new uh, Book 6 bin- banner. Uh, book 6 begins Ash and More, I believe is the full title. Uh, so, uh, and maybe there's one Dragon Gate refugee in there. Um, yeah, he's a kind of confusing character since... As far as I'm aware, Tellius is actually a different world than that of uh, Elise in Marth's world, but maybe they're the same somehow. Maybe. Well, let's start with Priam, the radiant hero. Here's Priam, a hero who lives for the thrill of battle. In Elise, there are legends of... See, here's the thing. This is coming straight from Fire Emblem, this this text here. So um, we'll see. I have no idea. Maybe we'll have to dig into that at at a later date, but... In Elise, there are legends of a radiant hero who brought together warring races and challenged a god, and Priam claims to be his descendant. Priam is a red sword infantry unit wielding ancient Ragnel, which grants defense plus three. Uh, unit can counterattack uh, regardless of foe's range. Start of combat if unit's HP is greater than or equal to 50%, or bonus is active on unit, inflicts attack slash defense minus six on foe during combat. He has a new skill in the C-slot called Rouse Speed slash Defense 4, where at start a turn, if unit is not adjacent to an ally, grants Speed slash Defense 4, or Speed slash Defense plus 6, and Null Panic to unit for one turn. Rounding at his kit is Soul as a special attack slash defense ideal 4 in the A-slot, and Null follow-up 3 in the B-slot. So this character, as Eddie was talking about, um is it claims to be a descendant of Ike his forging bond from what I've experienced is him talking to Ike but um yeah and he wields the ancient Ragnell and yeah part of his forging bonds that he wants to spar with Ragnell in its prime which Ike is wielding um yeah it's very confusing maybe all the worlds are the same because uh Krom in a paralogue to in Fates, that uh, Krom, Lissa, and Frederick appear in, talks about knowledge of uh, the two warring factions. I can't think of their name. Nor and I can't think of the... Uh, Hoshido. Hoshido, yeah. He talks about knowing of Nor and Hoshido, and it's confusing as to whether he knows about it because of the Dragon Gates or if somehow that happened on Elise as well. So maybe they're all one world. Uh, but the only ones that have been 100% confirmed to be the same world are Awakening and uh, the Marth games, the Ar- Arcania saga. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been talk and rumors of um, uh, the current uh, lo- Lost Lore, the um, four, three and, 4 and 5. The, Why can't I think of that name? The Thracia stuff? Yes, Thracia and that stuff being before uh, Marth's time, but the same world as Elise, or of Marth's world, Arcania. 
So maybe, you know, like um, Zelda, you know, all these worlds are the same world, just thousands and thousands and thousands of years apart. So that mo for the most part, they're either rumors or myths or, you know, no one remem barely remembers them. It's hard to say for sure, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It is hard to say. I mean, I'm sure there is a definitive answer somewhere buried in like a Fire Emblem codex that Nintendo has in someone's drawer. But in this case, like yeah. this hero claims to be a descendant of Ike. He's aware of Ike um, and he is he is from Awakening. Like I know his appearance in Awakening is associated with um, sort of a an added on content it's, a, he's, it's not like he shows up hey i, I live in elise and, and now I'm, I'm a descendant of vike you know he's a spot pass paralogue which most of them are characters like i think um basilio and uh Mar or crom and lissa's sister uh she's in heroes already who uh, allegedly died uh emerin yeah you know most of them are characters like that either enemies you've defeated or characters who allegedly died during the main story. Uh, but, I mean, the Dragon Gate already exists, so for all we know, you know, maybe he came through the Dragon Gate and was living in Elise for a while there, and he came from Tellius, or maybe he is has actually been living on the, you know, planet, and Ike's, Ike's stuff happened on the same planet as Elise and Arcania, and... He's his family has remembered for the thousands and thousands and thousands of years since that happened. It's hard to say for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, something we do know for sure is that Flavia is in is on the banner as well. Yes, one of the two rulers of the warlike country of Regna Ferox, Flavia is a brash, straightforward woman who, while being as tough, if not tougher, than her counterpart Basilio, uh, she complements it with a bit more diplomacy and common sense. Uh, she finally joins Heroes as a Red Sword Infantry unit. She wields the Lioness Blade, which boosts her special, and at the start of combat, if she has 25% or more health, it gives her attack speed plus 6. And if her special triggers, it deactivates any non-special skills that reduce damage by a percentage, excluding AoE specials. If she meets the health requirement and her foe also has 75% or more of their health, at the start of combat, it also gives her a special boost of one per attack. She has a new skill, and most likely a new skill line, called Red Feud, which at Tier 3, if she's in combat with a red foe, she disables the skills of all other foes during combat. Uh, not the It excludes the foe she is currently fighting, so his skills stay act, or their skills stay active. Uh, but she does inflict her opponent with a negative 4 to their main combat stacks. Stats, attack, speed, defense, resistance. And in any other combat, uh, the way I'm reading the skill, it disables the skills of all red foes not in combat with her. So once again, uh, if you know, even if she's fighting a blue foe, it'll disable any red skills. Uh, so any bonuses and buffs and defenses they give her will be inactive. She rounds out her kit with Draconic Aura, aura and Tier 4 Attack Speed Push. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, it's funny looking at this character. Um, we talked a bit about this last week. I don't remember anything about Flavia or Basilo, uh, in Awakening. And I, I mean, they were early game. They were in the first half of the game. Once you move over to, um, uh, what is 
used to be Valentia, I uh, forget, Volum, I believe it is. They kind of go by the wayside. Uh, they might even go out by the wayside by the time you fight, um, uh, what's his name, the evil bad guy, uh, Valador, I think, uh, the first time. Mm-hmm. So they kind of fade into the background, and I believe they reappear once or twice, as is, I believe, hinted at in the um, uh, Forging Bonds, where... Flavia is confused about Basilio because, uh, as far as she is aware, uh, Basilio uh, sacrificed himself in a holding off a giant army, which I think uh, Basilio himself was another spot pass type unit that you know you find out he didn't actually get killed when he did that, but you know, and he joins you there. But yeah, I don't remember much about him, but. Uh... I mean, let's talk about Basilo uh, Feroxy Westcon. So we have the other side of uh, this pairing. Basilo is the Westcon of Regna Ferox, a nation with a powerful military. Basilio um, was once a pirate, but his prowess as a warrior enabled him to defeat the previous con and claim his title. Basilio is a uh, green axe infantry unit wielding spirited axe plus where if bonus is active on unit, grants attack slash defense plus four and special cooldown charge plus one per foe's attack during combat. Only the highest value is applied, does not stack, special cooldown charge granted even if foe's attack deals zero damage. No new skills as Basilio is available as a four-star unit on this banner, but rounding out his kit is Moombo as a special, attack slash defense bond three in the A slot and attack tactic three in the c slot so this is our four star unit and i mean same same comments as before i don't i don't remember this character i mean there's they're ringing some bells don't get me wrong but like yeah yeah i remember um you know i'll admit flavio looks a little different than i remember but that could just be the art style basilio looks kind of what i recall from playing you know from him in awakening so yeah he's always a fun character you know, out there, you know, just charge in type mindset. Whereas, you know, like I said, Flavia, if I if I'm remembering correctly, I could be remembering wrongly, is much more of a, oh yeah, I'm ready to fight, but why fight when you don't have to? You know, except when it makes sense mm-hmm. type thing. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, four star unit. Um, I think he shares uh, the red orb. Uh, yeah, he shares the red orb. No. So. No, no, no. He's no. green. Priam is Flavia, and uh, Priam and Flavia share the red orb. Sorry. Right. No, no, no. You're right. Basilio's green orb because I he's guess the game really hates axe units or green units because they're already the fewest number of people, but I think they also have the highest number of uh, three to four star only units. You know, the lowest number of five star onlys on top of that. You know. Um, because like his uh you know a decent chunk of his forging bonds is him hanging out with uh Mustafa who's another green axe unit who's a four star three to four star uh, I can't remember if there's additional ones in there but it's kind of a you know list of various long list of green units that have been demoted or were uh tempest trials slash uh GHB units so but then again, most of the games often have sword units as their main, so it's not horribly surprising that, you know, X gets the short shrift. 
Well, who? Well, obviously, we have the main person on the banner. Who do we have next? Well, on, come on. On to the main focus to the banner, the banner, since it's you know her and more. Ash, the retainer to Asker, the protagonist of Book Six and retainer to the god Asker, has been sent with very little information to help out, and stumbled first into her enemy and then into us as we were investigating an issue caused by said enemy. When we, uh, when we end up saving her from his attack. She joins Heroes as a free unit for completing Chapter 1 of the new book and drops here on the banner as well and is a light colorless beast infantry attack unit, a uh, mythic unit. Uh, she is wields the Horn of Opening, and either the game calls a cowbell on a staff a horn or we don't actually get to see her quote-unquote weapon since she is a beast unit, which has a modified version of the infantry beast transfer- transformation. It has the same trigger rules as all beast units uh, in uh, next to only uh, dragon or other beast units, and she will transform. Um, and when she transforms, it still gives the plus two attack, but when the special triggers, it only gives plus seven instead of plus ten to the special damage. Uh, however, it also neutralizes effects that boost her foe's special cooldown or slow her special cooldown. Regardless of whether she transforms or not, it also grants her a special cooldown boost. Uh, and if she is within three spaces of an ally, uh, it gives her plus six to her foe, negative six to... a plus six to her and her foe a negative six to attack during combat. And additional bonuses based on how many allies are within three spaces of her. Uh, where it guarantees her a follow-up attack if there are two or more within three spaces, and prevents her foe from doing a follow-up attack if there are three or more allies within range. Her mythic skill is called Opening Retainer, and allows allies within two spaces of her to move to a space within two spaces of her, while also granting them plus four to attack during combat if they are within those two spaces of her. If there are allies within two spaces of her during combat, she also gets the plus four to attack. She has no other new skills, but those come with Bonfire, uh, the tier four skill attack defense unity, and wool attack defense. So once again, I I gave you the hero that has the biggest wall of text because she is... Yeah, her her weapon's quite big. I mean, it's different than a normal beast in that it... um, you know, gives a slightly less of a boost to normal infantry beasts, I should note. Gives slightly less to a um, her special when it triggers, uh, when the special triggers, because uh, most infantry beasts get a plus 10 to the damage when a special, the special triggers. But it also, you know, as a counter for losing that damage, she, you know, prevents her cooldown from being slowed. And, you know, prevents her foe from having boosted cooldowns yeah but and yeah her weapon which goes out to three spaces instead of the normal two spaces in most of skills has those extra caveats there where it gets extra effects if there are more allies within range so i mean i love that her weapon i didn't notice this like when her uh she was first out of the game but as we were prepping for this week i'm like it's literally um like she's literally got a cowbell that's kind of where I got the fact that she adds more cowbell up at the intro to the <laughs> section. Yeah, yeah. No, oh no, I got, I caught that, but I'm just saying, like when I was uh, when I was looking into the hero, it's really nice that they they it's it's neat that they put that in there. Um, and I'll say this: 
I really like uh I really like her. I, I think the her character is interesting. I was worried that um like I think in the introductory cinematic she it was it was hard to tell like what personality they were going to play off as but she she does seem like she comes in she she knows what she's doing she's trying to protect midgard and um i and this is just chapter 1 that i've played but i'm i'm looking forward to seeing sort of where they go with her like i still think like fjorm and air had like the most interesting sort of book uh our book hero story you know um but either way, like I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with this with this character. Uh, plus, she shoots lasers from her tail, so you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think her character fits what they showed in the video. It's hard to say for sure, but she seemed, you know, the video. She seems eager to help out, but clumsy. Mm-hmm. And we see nothing in chapter one to disprove the clumsiness. But she definitely seems as eager to help out as it felt like she was in the um, intro video. Just with, you know, less noticeable clumsiness. Although you could argue there's a bit of clumsiness there because she manages to stumble into her enemy while looking for whoever she's supposed to be there helping. Which, you know, uh, Asker didn't bother telling her about who it was she was looking for. (laughs) And we once again see a gendered pair of gods as we met with Niffle and Musefell. Where Niffle was female, Musebell was male, um, Asker's male, and Embla is female, we find out in this chapter. So, first yeah. chapter. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I think she's, I have yet to, like, use her fully in terms of her kit in battle. I haven't leveled her yet. I think you and I are both same waiting here. for the Tempest trial. Same, yep, same here. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll get some time with her soon, and if we have any thoughts to pass along, we'll, we'll include them on the show. Uh, next up, and usually we would talk about the bonus hero to this, uh, to this banner that's being pushed out. Thanks to, um, thanks to Ash, but, uh, I made a mistake and started working on the grand hero battle, um, hero. So we're going to talk about that one next. And then I swapped them in the notes. So, uh, first up or next up, we've got Yen Fei blade legend. Yen Fei is the former King of Chonsin, a land on the continent of Valm west of elise he's an honorable warrior and a renowned swordsmaster yen fei is our grand hero battle unit for the banner and is a red sword infantry unit wielding carnage amatsu uh, which is uh, unlocked at five stars and grants speed plus three unit can counterattack regardless of foe's range if unit is not adjacent to an ally and unit speed is greater than foe's speed reduces damage from attacks during combat and from area of effect specials excluding rocker area of effect specials by percentage equal to difference between stats times four to a max of 40 percent no new skills but rounding out his kit is astra as a special which is at four stars kestrel stance two in the a slot which is at five stars and threat attack slash defense two in the c slot which is unlocked at four stars um Again, like I don't, uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I don't remember this character very well from Awakening, but I promise you, the next character we talk about, I do recognize her. I I remember her. Um, so this is the last time you'll hear me say this. <laughs> I mean, we got his sister already in the game, uh, Seiri. Uh, she appeared a couple weeks ago, uh, Chansin's Blade. Uh, so that's his sister who was out searching for him, if I recall correctly, from uh, Heroes. This was. Second part of the game, while we were searching for 
I believe Tiki over on Valm and dealing with Walhart. Uh, Yenfei was, you know, like like it says, the former king of Chansin, and he joined with uh, uh, what's his name, Walhart, uh, in which you know. I believe if I recall correctly, Siri couldn't quite believe it and was trying to find him and prove that he didn't do that or was trying to defeat him because he did that. It's like I said, it's been a while. I remember they were, you know, we met Siri because she was looking for Yenfei or uh, whatever. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm not sure I remember either. But I mean, it, it, he is added as the Grand Hero Battle Unit. I believe he's available yeah. now in the game, so you can get him. And I believe he was also another one of those who joined in a paralogue after you defeated him. Uh, well, let's talk about the final hero. Yes, the final hero, Muriel, Rapier Intellect, the ever studious member of the Shepherds, always looking to unlock the secrets of the universe around her, and more if she can manage it. Muriel finally makes her way to Asker and Faye as a Blue Tome Infantry Unit, obtainable as part of the Celebration Quests. And three to four stars after the banner ends, most likely. Haven't verified that part yet, uh, but you get her at five star in the quests. She wields Blar Lion Plus, a new Blue Tome that at the start of turn grants attack plus six to adjacent allies. And if she has 75% or more hit points or HP, she gets attack res plus five. During her to her during combat. She has no other new skills, but does have drawback, attack speed ideal, and res speed link. Yeah. So. I remember her, uh, she's early on in Awakening, I believe. She's one of the first mages I think you get. Yep. Yep, her and, um, uh, what's his name? Little Kid. Uh, little Kid Genius Mage from Awakening. Oh, it's I don't know. Yeah. And there's but. so many characters in Awakening that obviously I have left my brain and all the more reason for, for someone to vote for Awakening uh, so, for Game Club. I, but. I did have his mem- my name right in my mind. It was I just was mixing it up with Game of Thrones because his name is Rickin, E-N, as opposed to Rickon is what my mind was saying, but close, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this... Uh, so Muriel is, is available through doing quests. I think I have a... I might have a couple copies of her... Um, later on that i need i need to i need to process but yeah she theoretically uh, if you've been playing you should have two copies there because i believe they were i think it was during chapter one in two completing two of the chapters you got the two copies of her mm-hmm. so yeah i haven't had time to to actually put her into a team but as i said probably when she'll join ash on our adventures in the tempest trial but uh, it's good that they got her in here and uh, a good chunk of Awakening characters in here. So looking forward to more Awakenings in the future. Um, but I think that's going to do it for our heroes. Uh, we do have, we're not going to end the show just yet because we do have a little preview of what it might be like if we talk about Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp F-E. Hopefully we'll have a bit more details if we do actually go into it. But give some early thoughts on your dipping into it after having picked it up. Yes. So I think I talked about it last week. Um, I was going back and forth. I know we haven't hit our goal yet, but I was going back and forth. like, uh, do I buy it now while it's on sale? And I think like from my mind, I was like, I kind of have always had an interest in playing the game and I would probably kick myself more if I had to buy it full price in January than if I bought it on sale and just played it on my own time uh, in, I guess at the time it would have been November or anyways, it doesn't matter. I picked it up. Um, I picked it up on the switch. I got it on sale as part of the black Friday stuff. 
And well, uh, why yeah. didn't you pick it up on the Wii U? That would have been so much better, right? <laughs> well, I know there was some discussions about like picking it up on Wii U as as a possibility of getting it cheaper. That is by no means the case. Like the 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 only way. So here's the thing. If you are thinking of joining us to to discuss or do a game club of Tokyo Mirage Sessions, um, obviously there's a whole extra life angle. But if you want to play alongside us, you really only have a few options. Um, a physical copy in store, you're not going to find. If you do, that's pretty unlikely. They did, at least here in Canada, they put them all on sale to basically get them off the shelves. Uh, the game is still available digitally both from retailers and from directly from Nintendo. Um, that's where you're going to see some sales. I'm not sure if you're going to see that sale uh, around Christmas time, but I know looking at Deku deals, the sales were always usually hitting on the Black Friday area, so that's why I picked it up. Um, uh, but you might you might have luck uh, getting a physical copy on like Facebook Marketplace or something. I did see a copy, or at least Whirlwind, who's in our TGI Discord, was helping me look for a copy, and there was one for like, 40 Canadian, uh, but it was like an hour's drive. So I was like, no, I'll just, I'll just buy it on sale. It's an extra 15 bucks, but this way I don't have to drive um, or, or go out of my way to get it. But uh, so just keep that in mind if you're thinking of of playing alongside us or, or, or want to play the game in general. Um, but uh, yeah, like we'll just run through this. I took some notes as I was playing um, and a lot of this is likely going to be a repeat of what we've discussed years ago when the game came out, but uh, that was four years ago. So, um, I think it was 2017, was it not? Or am I misremembering? I should have looked it up before, uh, um, I think it, it no, okay. that sounds too late to be honest. Let's see. Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah. It came out January in 2015. 2020. On... Oh, was it? January 17th, 2020 on Nintendo Switch. Original in 2016 on the Wii U in North America, December 2015 in Japan. So the pandemic is making me think it came out four years ago. It actually only came out um, just just close to two years ago. Anyways, that's a good note. <laughs> I seriously thought. So right before, uh, so January 2020. Yeah, the Encore Switch version. I don't know if the Encore version added anything new. Oh no, it did because that that is the Switch version that came out. Yeah, Encore is the Switch version. Um, yeah, uh, maybe it was just the DLC was included in the Encore version. Hard to say for sure, but yeah, I don't have like the differences in front of me, but like I know based on my playthrough. So it's important to note that this is a uh, we had a bit of a conversation on the Gamers Inn about localizations versus translations and. This is a little bit of a mix between the two. So all of the written text, so um, there is voiceover. It's it's an all, it's all in Japanese, but the written text and as much of the UI as possible, uh, I'd say it's a majority of the UI has been translated to English. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that the, the conversation text has been localized, not just translated, but essentially it is a game that is presented in Japanese through voice acting and cutscenes, but a lot of the text is, all the text is translated to uh, your choice of uh, language. So in my case, English. Um, And uh, the only difference being in battle, and I know this was something that has been brought up in reviews and was brought up on the show, is that in battles, when there's that, um, the banter going back and forth between your characters 
and the enemy or just between your characters, that's all in Japanese. It's not translated. There's no text appearing on screen. So there are moments where you are technically missing. If you don't speak Japanese, you're missing out on content. But it is, for the most part, I believe, just random banter. But there might be some like hero to bad guy or boss specific text or conversations um, that aren't being translated there. So keep that in mind. But I don't think we're missing a whole lot. Uh, again, could be wrong. I don't speak Japanese. So, uh, but I feel like it's just, it's just banter. Um, so like when I booted up the game, you get a choice between wearing glasses and not wearing glasses. I think that was part of the, the sharp, uh, encore stuff they added. So I'm wearing glasses. Um, uh, so I, so I went with that and I think it's for a specific character, but now I can't remember if it's for the main lead or the, the other character you run. I, I don't know the character names just yet. Um, I'm still working. It's Suki is the main guy you play, right? Yes. Suki is your main guy, your initial guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a while. Um, he bonds with Krom early on. So, yeah, I did delve into my first, I'm going to call it a dungeon again. Like I, I haven't taken detailed notes, so I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to use all the, the actual in-game terms, but, uh, your first dungeon, I, you know what? A lot of people I think complained about the later on sections of the dungeon and that they were kind of long and meandering, but like I kind of dug the first dungeon in that it was, it felt, it felt old school in a way where I just, there wasn't a lot of like uh systems pressure. I could just go in, do it. And it was just a, a, some battles to do and you can run around, you can stagger enemies. They all appear on the map as you're running through and you can stagger them to kind of run past them. Um However, like, I don't know if that's a good idea considering this does feel kind of old school and if you skip all the battles you might you might not have enough XP to fight the bosses so uh I felt it was pretty easy to stagger the enemies you saw on screen so I'm worried that if I were to stagger all of them I could I could run into an issue of of not having enough XP It's been a while and I tend to grind on things so I don't stagger very often and you're st- it's still very early, so you haven't really encountered the main feature of the game. Um, but uh, I'm not even sure if they've even introduced that to you at all yet. You mean uh, but the sessions, like the battle sessions? Yes, the yeah. sessions. If you line it up right, you can have all your characters swing through attacking the enemy like three or four times, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So... I did get to that and honestly it's 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 one of my favorite things about the game is that I really felt like that sort of synergy attack between the characters and the way they're linked so like you see when you get a new skill whether it's a battle skill or a session skill and those session skills yeah. can queue up in a way where you can get so far I've only locked enough where I get like two or one chain so it's your main character and then another character um yeah but yeah, I am looking forward to seeing how that evolves over time. Uh, you know, um, I got Sita. So Sita bonds with the other character. The, yes, Subasa. Uh, Subasa, yes. Um, so that that happened. Uh, Tuma joined the battle as well, and he is yes. linked with, he with oh, I one of the red one of the red horse guys, red cavalry guys. Oh, um, it's Kane. I think it's Kane. Yes. Yeah. So he pops in. Uh, he he's your friend. Like he's Atsuki's friend. He's friends with the whole group. The storyline, if I recall correctly, is 
Uh, Tuma is a is part of a uh, you know acting or talent agency. Um, Subasa is auditioning to be part of one, and Itsuki is just there to support her. But you find out a lot more secrets about the acting and music world or talent world uh, when, if I recall, that's what the prologue's all about. Like she's at an audition, and it turns out that the guy doing the audition is controlled by an evil persona or evil, whatever they call it there. I can't remember. <laughs> I I promise when we do the actual, if we do the actual game club, I'm gonna write down all these terms. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot longer than me, so I'm forget what they're called exactly. But um, mirages, maybe mirages. The yeah, mirage is, session. I think uh, and it Itsuki goes to save Subasa, and that's when he meets Krom, who is his mirage, and bonds with him instead of being controlled by him. And Subasa bonds with uh, Sita instead of being controlled or something like that. Something in them allows them to bond and control Krom and turn them into weapons as opposed to being controlled by them, like the guy they're chasing after and fighting is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that sounds right. Um essentially like uh in the first dungeon they're really just introducing you to the idea of sessions um i did go into so there was a uh, there's a boss battle at the end of the first dungeon um where you're fighting the audition presenter dude uh who is definitely evil uh dude and he um he kind of so here's the thing, like, I know this game pulls a lot from Fire Emblem and tries to offer as much of a, it's not like a straight conversion of like, this is Krom. And when you look at him, you're like, okay, I can see Krom, but like, it's not really the Krom pulled straight from Awakening. It's, it's a, it's a version of Krom and it's a, it's the Mirage inspired by Krom, I guess. And yeah. you see that in the boss battle too. Like I get a, I get a sense that he's kind of set up as like the Black Knight because he's this very large armored character and he kind of has that look of like an armored knight from fire emblem um yeah but like this being a persona game they really pull or persona side experience they really pull from what i've played of persona 5 those over animated boss uh, boss fights where the bosses are like really creepy and over animated in a way like it really does look like a character has been possessed as as we would know from traditional media of a character being possessed and uh it's creepy like it's a little creepy and they do like this is not a game that uh i think it pulls a lot from i guess it's not persona but it's the shimigami tensei series yeah which persona is a spinoff of yeah yeah so, so i i just uh i i noted that i felt like it it has some of those it's kind of like a persona light um, and I mean, that might be incorrect and I've only played persona. I've not played a Shimigami Tensei, but I know the fifth one just came out. Um, but yeah, I, I finished the prologue, uh, and I enjoyed it. I got into chapter one a little bit. There's a little more like story. Um, I think you're introduced to, uh, at the end of the prologue, uh, you see briefly the character who has bonded with, I think Tharja and yes. she's like a pop singer. So yeah. She's a pop idol that Tsubasa idolizes. Yeah. If I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah that is correct. So. And she, uh, I think she like continues in chapter one to try to figure out how to get her autograph. <laughs> so <laughs> I imagine that will be uh, a theme going forward, but like that's essentially uh, what I've experienced so far. 
if we do a game club, and I know we keep saying if, uh, if we do a game club for this game, we'll obviously go through the prologue in a more structured fashion like we've done in the past. But I wanted to give everybody kind of a preview of, of what I've played so far and my thoughts. But uh, yeah, if you want to make that happen, there's two weeks left to donate to our Extra Life Fund. You can go to bit.ly slash Extra Life Ryan. And any money donated in the name of Summoner's Call goes towards our goal of $200 raised for playing Tokyo Mirage Sessions um, as a game club. So uh, you have until December 31st to get your donations in. And remember, there is another incentive as well. You vote $10, uh, $10 per game vote. So if you donate 50 bucks, you can vote for a game of your choosing for Game Club five times. Um, all the restrictions and, and um, the guidelines are in our show notes that you can check out. But uh, it's anyone's game. Anyone can vote for anybody at this stage. And there's two weeks left. One more episode of Summoner's Call after this one. So it's anybody's, uh, it's anybody's race at this stage. And we'd love to play Tokyo Mirage Sessions. I think we've got $110 more to raise, so not much further to go. Yep, um, I did actually look into it a little, um, and the first boss you fight is Garrick, who is the uh, enemy in the prologue for Awakening. Uh, very distorted, um, looks no- almost nothing like the version in Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Although, like, his head is sticking out of the top of the helmet of the giant knight guy. Mm-hmm. So he's supposed to be Garrick. Uh, stuck stuck to the his life as a prologue boss. Beaten <laughs> early on. <laughs> yeah, took care of him, no problem. He's He is done. So, yeah, if you want more Tokyo Mirage sessions, you uh, know what to do. And if you have any questions, you can certainly hit us up in Discord or via email. But that is going to do it for our episode this week. You can visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com slash Faye. Email the show, Faye at gamersinpodcast.com. You can check out the Fire Emblem channel and the Gamers in Discord at bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find me at R. Murphy, Eddie at Drellfear, and don't forget to follow at the Gamers in for show updates. Be sure to check out serenesforest.net, our go-to resource for Fire Emblem news and information. It's going to do it for this episode of Summoner's Call. Have a great week, and happy summoning. Mm-hmm.